0: Welcome to the Emotional Wealth Podcast, hosted by certified financial planner, Lon W. Broski. Every two weeks, Lon discusses the current most relevant topics in today's financial climate. He will share with you his insights from 20-plus years of experience that he has found is most important in accomplishing your financial goals. Topics include the equity markets, saving and investing for your goals, the impact on your financial plan as it relates to current events, and more. Now, Here is your host of Emotional Wealth, Lon
1: Broski. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Emotional Wealth. My name is Lon Broski. I'm a certified financial planner with Pines Wealth Management in St. Louis. As we always do, we start each and every podcast with a quote, and I've got a good one today. It comes from Benjamin Franklin. Investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And that's exactly what we do with these podcasts. Our goal in doing these podcasts is to give our listeners information, to educate them so that they make better, more informed decisions, which ultimately help keep them on track with their financial goals. And today I want to talk about financial myths. Because given the fact that we are in the middle of a bear market, even though it hasn't been officially declared a bear market and a bear market is defined as a 20% drop from the market's most previous high, it appears that we're in the middle of one. And it's been quite some time since we've had one. And whenever you experience these bear markets, or any market downturn for that matter, this emotional wave seems to engulf us. Because during these market downturns, the emotions bubble up to the surface. And these financial myths are regurgitated to us in what we hear, in what we read, and what we see. When Whether we're talking to friends, family members, co-workers, these myths seem to bubble to the surface. And probably one of the more common myths is that you need to do something. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting closer to your goals just by doing something. Yet that's what we constantly read and see, and even hear from people we may trust that we need to be doing something in order to save your retirement because we're in this bear market. So let's look at a recent study that I came across, I found very interesting. It was done by FactSet. And they looked at the S&P 500 index and the total return of the S&P 500 index over a 20-year period, starting in January of 2002 and ending in January of 2022. And they found that if you had remained fully invested over those 20 years, in other words, trying to be active in regards to when to get in and when to get out, over those 20 years, the total return of the S&P 500 index was 9.40%. Had you remained invested every single day over that 20-year period. 9.40%. If you missed the 10 best days over that 20-year period, your rate of return would be almost half. And that's shocking to me, half. If you just missed the 10 best days, your rate of return would have dropped to 5.21%. You missed the 20 best days out of 20 years, your rate of return is 2.51%. And you miss the 30 best days, your rate of return is 0.32. So when I think of the study, I think about hitting that little bullseye when you're playing darts with that little tiny dart tip and you got to hit that bullseye. Imagine missing the 10 best days out of 20 years. You miss that bullseye, you are penalized. And here's something else that the study found, which I thought was very interesting. Okay. Obviously I was shocked with the miss the 10 best days, 20 days, and 30 days. But here's something else that really really I was taken aback by. The study further found that seven of the ten best days occurred within 15 days of the ten worst days. So in other words, when you were feeling most fearful, when you had that urge to go to cash, to sell out, to preserve the remaining amount of money that you had, at that moment when you felt the absolute worst, where you were most fearful about dropping further, Seven of the 10 best days occurred after that feeling. Think about that. Seven of the 10 best days occurred within 15 days of the 10 worst days. You could have held on just that little bit longer. You would have gotten through that highly emotional state of fear that you were going through. Fascinating study. Another financial myth here is that we need to be reactive versus proactive. Because when you're making changes to your portfolio based upon what's happening inside of the markets, based upon what's happening in politics, based upon what your coworkers, your friends, your family members are telling you that you need to do, that's being reactive. That's not proactive. That's reactive. And when you design your financial plan and the investments inside of that financial plan, that's being proactive. By analyzing what your investments do in good times and in bad times, you understand exactly how your portfolio is going to react. That's going to help you be proactive so that you're not pushing the panic button when times get bad. Again, discuss the fact set study when you are reactive and you miss the 10 best days and 20 best days and 30 best days it makes a big difference on whether or not you're getting closer to your goals or further from your goals. So you don't necessarily need to be active in the market. There's another part to this, okay? And the other part is this, the efficient market hypothesis. Now, this was developed by a couple of economists in the mid-60s. And essentially what the efficient market hypothesis says is that the current state of the markets and the indexes essentially reflect all of the current knowledge there is. And markets are very efficient, especially in today's environment, right? When we have that little device in our hands, that little rectangular device in our hands, it's absolutely changed the world. And oh, by the way, as a million times more computing power than what it took to put man on the moon, we have information at our fingertips. Information is no longer proprietary. It's a commodity, And when everybody has the same information, it levels the playing field. J.P. Morgan and Dalbar recently did a study on professional investors. Now, they classify professional investors as those that spent 70 to 100 hours a week laser-focused on the markets. And they began trading based upon their research and their knowledge. I mean, that's a lot of time per week to spend On your investments doing the research and trading on that particular knowledge and what they found is that they're only right 55 to 60% of the time it's not a good percentage to spend that much time on and even if you're the best investor in the world maybe you're going to be right 60 to 65% of the time but think about that I'm talking about Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch, some of the greatest investors ever. Charlie Munger. They get it right, maybe 60% of the time. So that means 40% of the time they're wrong. The efficient market hypothesis essentially says that everything there is to know about the markets are already there. So that leads us to the conclusion of, well, what can we utilize to take advantage of the efficient market hypothesis, which again is the exact opposite of we need to be active in the market, especially when the market drops. Well, that's where active investments versus passive investments, what's where that discussion is relevant, because in your portfolio, a good diversified portfolio that's designed to achieve a superior long-term return, that long-term rate of return is what we're after. The combination of both active investments and passive investments can be a good mixture to have inside of your portfolio. There's no one universal golden rule of you have to be actively managed in your investments and you have to be passively managed your investments. Now, you'll hear both sides of the argument, but it really comes down to if you have both types of investment strategies, actively managed and passively managed, that's a combination that's going to get you ultimately closer to your financial goals than farther away. And of course, you cannot forget about your behavior. So again, myth number one, you have to be constantly active. We talked about missing the best 10, 20, 30 days. We also talked about the efficient market hypothesis, which essentially says that we have all available information. Everybody does. So just make sure that you're in. Just make sure that you're invested, fully invested, because it's nearly impossible to beat the market. So I want to talk about another common financial myth that I hear, especially given the state of the markets where investors are feeling a lot of pressure because they're seeing their investment statements and they're seeing that they're down quite a bit. So a second financial myth that I like to bust is, well, Lon, if I time it right, I'll make more money. And so we were recently doing a client workshop where we talked about the current state of the markets. And one of the questions that I got during the question and answer period, which is a very good question, was when should I invest? When's a good time to invest? Because I want to make sure that I time it. And so once again, as we Normally do. I always look for data. I'm constantly sifting and mining data in order to answer these questions to make sure that we give answers that are in line with what the data is. Because data is relevant. Facts are relevant. The only place that I find facts is within historical data. Because the common misconception is that if I can time the market just exactly right, I will get the greatest return. I recently came across an interesting article written by the Schwab Center for Financial Research that studied five particular investors. Now, you might think this is corny, but let's talk about Peter Perfect, Ashley Action, Matthew Monthly, Rosie Rotten, and Larry Linger. Let's get familiar with all of these investors. And what we're going to do is we're going to give each investor $2,000 at the beginning of every year for 20 years. And they're going to put it in the S&P 500 index. They're going to leave it in there. They're going to invest it and leave it in there. So let's talk about each. Let's talk about Peter Perfect. Peter Perfect is the absolute best timer in the world. He's the only person in the world that has ever been able to consistently time the market. And he puts it in at the perfect time. Ashley Action, which is our second investor, just puts it in. She has a simple, consistent approach. Each year, once she receives the $2,000, she immediately puts it in. She doesn't wait to time it. Matthew Monthly, he takes his $2,000 and divides it by 12 and puts it in every single month. Rosie Rotten takes her $2,000 and has the absolute worst timing. So unlike... Peter Perfect, who was the perfect timer. Rosie Rotten is the worst timer. She can't get anything right. So she puts her $2,000 in right before the market drops. And then there's Larry Linger, who just essentially can't make a decision. So he's going to leave it in cash because he's afraid of what's going to happen. So what's the results from all five investors? Well, Peter Perfect took his $2,000 investment in the S&P 500 over 20 years and turned it into $151,391. Ashley Action turned her $2,000 investment every year over 20 years into $135,471. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not a needle mover. Ashley Action has only $15,000 less than what Peter Perfect does without the stress. It's not a needle mover. The question I have for you, is it going to be worth all of the stress trying to be right all the time that Peter Perfect's going to experience? Whereas Ashley Action just puts it in. She has a consistent approach and she ends up a little over $15,000 less than what Peter Perfect does and it's not going to be a needle mover for her retirement plan. Potentially. Meanwhile, Matthew Monthly has one hundred and thirty-four thousand dollars So math, Matthew Monthly and Ashley Action are right there. Either one, whether you split that $2,000 into 12 equal increments and invest on a monthly basis, or you have Ashley Action, which is a consistent approach, either one will work. And if you're the worst timer which is Rosie Rotten. She couldn't get anything right. She ends up with $121,171. And then there's Larry Linger, who stays in cash. He ends up with $44,000, which is a needle mover. Out of those five investors, I think Peter Perfect has a lot more stress in his life for not a whole lot more benefit rather than Ashley Action and Matthew Monthly, have a system and they're consistent with it. There's no emotion in their system. And their results do not move the needle. And interestingly enough, Rosie Rotten, poor girl, who can't get anything right, she ends up with nearly three times as much as Larry Linger did. Simply because she was invested. So the point of this study is very simple, is that timing the market is impossible. William Sharp is another Nobel Prize winning economist, tells us that an investor has to be accurate 74% of the time in order to beat the index. 74% of the time you have to be perfect in order to beat the index. And we just talked about in our last financial myth about the efficient market hypothesis, William Sharpe's work, the Nobel Prize winning economist, tells us that. And that the average investor underperforms the S&P 500. Why do they underperform the S&P 500? Is because they want to time the market. I want to know when to get out. I want to get out before it drops, and I want to get back in before it comes out. So it's really about time, not timing. When's the right time to invest? When you have the money. Ashley Action tells us that. So let's talk about financial myth number three. And the myth is I need a higher rate of return. I've always got to compare my results with somebody else's results, either an index, or my friends, my co-workers, or maybe a family member. Maybe my crazy uncle is in my ear wanting to know what my rate of return was compared to his. Constantly return chasing. Chasing returns is not a financial plan. You can't make investment policy out of chasing returns. The only comparison you should be making with your portfolio is against your financial goals. Am I on track with my financial goals? That's the rate of return that you should be concerned with. That's the rate of return that matters. Because when you start chasing returns, you start potentially adding more risk. And that may be more risk than what you're actually comfortable with. Because each person has different goals. Using a rate of return and measuring your performance can be very misleading. And here's what I mean. You can have two exact same portfolios that average 7% per year. Okay? But yet the results are very different. And I know what you're thinking. What? What did you just say? 7% 7% portfolio, two portfolios that average 7%. But how you experience that 7% can be uniquely different, and it usually is. If I have a portfolio that experiences 7% per year, and it returns 7% year after year after year after year, that is entirely altogether different. than a portfolio that maybe does nothing year one, is up 7% in year two, does nothing in year three. In year four, it's up three, and then it's up 14, that's up 12, and that's up zero, up six, up 18, up 10. That portfolio is still going to average 10%. But my value at the end of that portfolio is going to be a lot different than the portfolio where I averaged 7% per year. So just because my portfolio averages 7%, that can be very misleading. It's not about a higher rate of return. It's about keeping track with your own financial goals and your own financial plan. How are you measuring up against that? If your rate of return allows you to achieve your goals and allows you to get not only to retirement, but through retirement, then that's the benchmark that we want to track. We don't want to listen to the media's benchmark. We don't want to listen to our co-workers benchmark. We only want to listen to our own benchmark. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. You can visit our website at www.pineswealth.com. Have a great week and we look forward to talking to you again.
0: You've been listening to the Emotional Wealth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Lon, you can follow him on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook or visit his website at pineswealth.com. And as always, if you have any questions or ideas for upcoming podcasts, please call Lon anytime toll free 800-467-6567 or email him at podcast at pineswealth.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Happy money.